Good morning. My name is Ian McIntosh. I'm uh, a member of our preaching task force, preaching team here. So I get to rotate in and, uh, and bring God's word to us every so often. And I really do enjoy that. It's a great privilege and huge responsibility to, to open God's word together and walk us through that. Uh, before we get into that message this morning, I want to take a moment for us to pray for Derry and Debbie Turner. Uh, they are some of our missionaries that we support. They're over in Uganda, and Derry has been focusing a lot on leadership development. He's been uh, at a Bible college over there and developing up the indigenous population in Uganda to, to really take the helm and, and invest in God's community over there. And uh, so let's take a moment and, and pray for them. Uh, as you might be able to see up there, uh, they'll be flying back in to uh, Uganda on Tuesday. And so we can play, pray for travel mercies for them as well. And we can pray uh, for the pastors that he's uh, leading and teaching and investing in, uh, that they would really have a deep understanding for and thirst for uh, God's word. So let's pray. Father, we do thank you for Derry and Debbie. We thank you for uh, the work that they are doing, uh, that they have um, given their lives to, to serving you um, uh, in, in Uganda. And Lord, we pray that as they travel back there, that, uh, that you would give them travel mercies, that uh, all the connections would be made, and the, um, there would not be any mechanical difficulties or any complications and Lord, we pray for the work they're doing there. Lord, uh, for uh, the uh, pastors that they are investing in, uh, that they would truly understand um, not just the information found in your word, but that they would um, capture your heart, uh, that their heart would beat uh, with yours, and that they would be able to be trained to be uh, your tangible expression of love to the people that they serve. And Lord, we pray that Derry and Debbie would be enabled to, to serve those pastors towards that goal. Lord, it's not an easy task, but it's very worthwhile. So thank you for what they're doing. We, pr we pray for their protection, their provision, and um, that you would bring uh, produce in the fruitfulness of their ministry. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm going to say at the very beginning uh, to open your Bibles to Obadiah. And the reason I want to say that right now is because it might take a little while to find it. <laughs> it, it and some of you, it might just be one page in your Bible. Uh, and on, uh, if, you're, uh, in, if you want to cheat, you can grab one of these, you know, and I'll even tell you it's on page number, let's see, almost there. What's that? Oh, Really? Oh, look at that. Well, I, okay. I grabbed this from the pew, just for the record. So oh, apparently okay. we still have some, okay. Great, now I have to find it like everyone else. I totally cheated. Okay, give me a minute here. Let's see. Yep, okay, there it is. All right. 772, page 772. And, and by the way, if you don't have a Bible to call your own, um, then we would love for you to take one of these. Uh, if you would like the, the obsolete 
new, <laughs> it's not obsolete, but, but no, uh, there, there is an NIV here, but we, uh, this is the English Standard Version. They're both great translations, but, but no, if you don't have a Bible to call your own, we would love for you to, to take one of these and call it your own, uh, bring it home with you, bring it to church with you. Uh, it's important to be in God's Word. So uh, we are going through a series called Minor Prophets, Major Wisdom, and uh, we've been walking through uh, what it is that these minor prophets have to share with us. And so uh, we're going, going to look at the book of Obadiah today. Now, um, I was telling the, the preaching task force team that I, I read this, the, the, the whole book of Obadiah, like at least six times in, in prep for this message, you know, which, I mean, that's not like reading Psalms six times, but still, uh, I... Uh, one of the reasons I, I jumped on the opportunity to preach this one is because uh, it's not often that I can actually uh, read through a whole book of the Bible in one sermon when we're teaching it. So I'm looking forward to doing that with you this morning. Uh, I want to just kind of set the table, uh, tell you the three major themes that we're going to see here in the book of Obadiah, and then we'll walk through each one of those uh, one by one. And as we look at this, I would like you to consider um, that there really is a choice that each one of us has to make. Um, we can choose to be self-reliant, we can choose uh, to be prideful, or we can choose uh, to hide in God's protection. And so as we walk through the message this morning, uh, just be asking God to show you where you fit in that and, uh, and to guide you towards, of course, what I hope the answer would be, yes, I want to hide in God's protection. So the three themes here, the first one is uh, trusting in self rather than trusting in God. And the second theme that we see here is hiding behind pride and neglecting compassion. And then the final theme is, uh, in the form of a question on your notes anyway, uh, does God have my back? Does God really have my back? So we're going to unpack the book of Obadiah this morning, and we're going to look at those uh, three themes here. So the, um, before we do that, I want to uh, give you a little bit of a, some background for the book of Obadiah. Uh, I'm curious, how many of you have siblings, like a brother, a sister? Okay, good, a, a good many of you. Now, um, if you're anything like me, that sibling rivalry was kind of a thing. You know, I, I had some older siblings and some younger siblings, and my older brother um, was kind of maybe the, the stereotypical older brother, you know. Like, we used to play this game that he made up called Who Can Punch the Softest? <laughs> and uh, I always went first, and I always won, <laughs> and I always played again when he wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> he's my older brother and you know uh, or you know we'd, we'd, we'd hike around in the woods and uh and we we came across this electric fence and and he said hey um grab onto that wire and so I did and he and I start twitching a little bit and he's like oh okay it's on <laughs> and he just walks off you know <laughs> so I, and I, I could tell you a lot of stories like that, but I could also tell you stories of my older brother and I having a whole lot of fun together and really enjoying um, the friendship between siblings. And I tell you um, about that because the story of Obadiah is um, kind of a story of a sibling rivalry. Uh, 
you may be familiar with the story of Jacob and Esau in, in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis. Um, they were twins, and, uh, and there was definitely a sibling rivalry there. And um, the, the book of Obadiah um, discusses that rivalry in a very blatant way because um, the, it, it's a prophecy against the Edomites, which were the descendants of Esau. And uh, the descendants of Jacob were the nation of Israel. And Israel was um, judged by God because they had, dis- uh, they, had, they had disobeyed God and God had disciplined them with the nation of Babylon coming in in 586 BC and, uh, and taking them captive, destroying the, the city of Jerusalem, destroying the temple, taking them captive. And, um, and apparently the Edomites... You know, so you see these two brother nations, right? Israel is Jacob, Esau is Edom. You see, and uh, the Edomites, the Esau's, they sat and watched their brother, Jacob, get destroyed by Babylon. And they didn't do anything to help him. And God gets pretty upset with them about that. And that's what we read in, in, the, uh, in the story of, well, in the, in the prophecy of Obadiah. Is, is God uh, judging the Edomites for not uh, coming to their brother's aid. So uh, we're not going to take the time to turn to it, but if you wanted to look at Genesis, uh, you, could, you could actually read the history of it there. And um, it begins in chapter 27 um, and with some treachery. So uh, you may know the story, but in case you don't, I just want to walk you through it real quick. Uh, they were twins, and uh, there was some concern that uh, Esau was going to get the blessing from, from his, his dad. And um, God had actually prophesied that it wouldn't go to Esau, that, that the younger would, um, would rule over the older, because even though they were twins, one's born first, you know, and Esau was the older brother in that case. So, uh, so there's treachery, you know, he, he puts on um, uh, like skins and he, he kills an animal and, and goes to his dad and, and, and tricks his dad into thinking that he's Esau and he steals the, the birthright, the blessing. And so there's treachery there. And then um, when Esau finds out about it, uh, Jacob's kind of scared. So, so he flees. And we see that in, in chapter 28, he's pretty much banished from, from uh, the family. Uh, and he goes over to his mom's family and, uh, and makes a home there um, with Laban and uh, becomes quite prosperous, actually. And Rich, if you want to tick through those, I think, I think those are kind of listed up there. Um, so he, uh, he goes with Laban, he becomes quite prosperous, and, uh, and God is, uh, is blessing him in that way. You know, with the whole, you, you may have read the story with the, the striped sticks and the, you know, you get this color of sheep and I get this color of sheep. And, you know, he was tending, um, he was tending Laban's flocks for 14 years, you know. Uh, he wanted to marry Laban's daughter. And so uh, he said, well, sure, but you got to work for me for seven years. So he did. And then there was the whole wedding night switcheroo. Well, yeah, because we wouldn't give you the younger daughter. So you marry the older daughter. But here, you know, um, have your honeymoon and then, uh, and then you can marry my younger daughter and then you can work for me for another seven years. So he got some treachery of his own that he had to deal with. So anyway, there he is working for Laban for 14 years. But during that time, God is building character in him. God is blessing him. And, uh, and he's becoming prosperous. And then chapter 30 and 31, uh, he leaves Laban and, um, uh, and, and kind of 
you know, um, becomes independent. And then in chapter 32, we see uh, the, the story of uh, Jacob wrestling with God. And uh, God actually changes his name to Israel during that time. That's when God touched his hip and dislocated it. Uh, and, then, and then finally, in chapter 33, we see him reconcile. You know, he goes to his brother, uh, and, he, and he's kind of scared to, to reconcile with his brother. And I know that feeling, because, you know, I've, I've done some things to my brother that he wanted to punch me in the face, and uh, sometimes he did. And so, <laughs> so, uh, so Jacob sent a whole parade of gifts in front of him. In fact, he split his, his uh, whole tribe up into two different camps in case um, Esau destroyed one of them, because he didn't know how Esau was going to respond. He hadn't seen him for, you know, at least 14 years. And so he sends gift after gift after gift, and there's this beautiful reconciliation between them. But something happened, you know, centuries and centuries later, the Edomites are, um, are distant from, uh, from the Israelites. So uh, with that, we're going to look at this first theme uh, of hiding behind pride and neglecting compassion. I'm sorry, the first theme of trusting in self rather than trusting in God. Uh, There's a term you may have heard, it's called affluenza. (laughs) It's not influenza, it's affluenza. I, I was shocked to find it's actually in the dictionary now, at least the online dictionary. The Webster Miriam Dictionary actually has an entry for affluenza. So it, it's a combination of the word affluent and influenza, right? So a lot of Americans today suffer from affluenza, and Rich, you can put the definition up there if you'd like. Um, I'm not going to read the whole thing for to you for the sake of time, but if you look at item B there, it's described as an extreme materialism and consumerism associated with the pursuit of wealth and success and resulting in a life of chronic dissatisfaction, debt, overwork, stress, and impaired relationships. A lot of people in America suffer from affluenza. And uh, this is something that I think um, is true in Philida as well. I, I pulled up a few statistics about Philida. Uh, if, you just, if you look at education, um, if you add up those first two numbers, 156 and 630, if you add up the percentages, it's less than 20% of people that live in our zip code um, that, that don't have at least some college education. So there's a very high level of, of education in our zip code in 98685. Um, corresponding to that, perhaps, there's a high level of income. If you look at the, the next slide here, it shows um, the income distribution by age. Um, even people starting out at the age of 25 that live in our zip code are, are making probably, uh, what does it say up there? I can barely read that, 30, almost $38,000 a, a year. Now, when I was 25 years old, I was not making that kind of money, you know. Uh, and, then, and then another uh, look at the income in our zip code uh, looks at it just from a perspective of um, averages and that kind of thing. Rich, if you can go to the next slide there. Uh, average household income and median household income and all that kind of stuff. Um, don't want to bore you with the stats, but the gist of it, guys, um, we're doing well as a community in Philida you know, we're not hurting, right? Affluenza. 
Okay. Uh, one more stat for you would be the crime rate. And uh, if you look at the, the middle of that, that's like the, the average in, in the nation. And then the, the dark part of it is where we are. Uh, notice that there is no crime um, that we are above average in our area. We're actually significantly below average in our crime rate. Uh, looks like auto theft is close to being average. So no one's going to try to steal my car, though, so I'm okay. <laughs> because if you've seen my car, you know that that's nothing I should be worried about. Uh, but, uh, but see, we are secure. We're safe. We've, we've got money. We've got, uh, we've got education. We've got resources. Uh, we, we've got, you know, s- safety in our, uh, in our neighborhood. We can trust in ourselves. Or can we? Let's begin reading in Obadiah, verse 1. I don't, I don't even have to say chapter 1, because it's, it's just 1. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwellings, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, how you have been destroyed. Would they not steal only enough for themselves? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. All, so when it says Esau, that's referring to Edom, you know, the nation of, of Edom. Um, how Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. All of your allies have driven you to your borders. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau? And your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Teman, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. So obviously God is upset with the Edomites because they did not come to the help of their brother. It says, you know, uh, there's mention to being high and lofty and, you know, um, secure in the, in the cleft of the rock, and, and they were. They had their own 98685 going on. You know, they, they had uh, these, these fortresses that were literally built out of the, the face of a cliff, and people could not uh, get to them. And, and to try to invade them, you, they would have to go through very narrow passageways. It's much like, um, if any of you have seen the Indiana Jones in the Search for the Holy Grail, when they're going through those, those really high-rocked, you know, trail things, um, it, it, it would be like that. So no matter how big your army is, you can only get so many people through there. And then when you do get there, you look straight up and it's like, oh, there they are. How are you going to attack that? 
So they're sitting there going, yeah, we've got it going on. Nothing going to get us. Now, I'm looking good. My 401k is solid. My, you know, got my good job. Got my nice house. Two and a half kids or whatever that national average is these days. I don't know. <laughs> you know, the, um, the self-reliance, the pride deceived them. They were trusting in themselves rather than God. Okay, this next theme, um, hiding behind pride and uh, neglecting compassion. The reason I, I put those two concepts together is because I think that the pride can cause the neglect of compassion. So uh, there's, I love how Facebook puts history up, you know, like, like this five years ago today or whatever. So um, sometimes I go on Facebook and sometimes I see what was on there a while ago. And I, so I saw this one just, you know, the fourth. So let's see, that was, well, okay, yeah, so about a week ago, right? Yeah, five days ago. Thank you. I'm not good at mathing. And, um, and so, so on, on June 4th, 2012, so five years ago, um, our family was heading somewhere and we were talking about a person that, that my wife had, uh, had some pity towards and I, the good kind of pity, not like, wow, that person's pitiful, but like, wow, I really feel pity for this person. And, and as we were talking uh, as a family, I, I just wondered out loud, you know, what's the difference between pity and compassion? And so uh, Sawyer entered the conversation five years ago, so he would have been 10? Um, almost 10, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, if, um, he said, well, uh, compassion would be the act of pity. So compassion would be pity in action, according to my not-quite-10-year-old son at the time. And that really uh, impacted me so much that I put it on Facebook, so it must have been important, right? <laughs> and if I had Instagram, I probably would have done that too. I don't know. But um, so the idea of pity being um, something that could, could generate the action of compassion. The problem, one of the problems I have with acting compassionately is that sometimes people just don't deserve it. You know, I mean, uh, you might know that person, you might be thinking of that person who is really good at messing up their life and, and is always coming to you and saying, hey, can you help me out? Or, hey, I've got this going on or that going on or, or you know, whatever. And, um, you know, one thing that I struggle with and ask God to grow me in is uh, how to balance uh, letting God's discipline have its effect on their life, but still being compassionate towards them. Like, what does that look like? And, and the Edomites, I mean, I can assume that, that they could have been sitting there, you know, watching the destruction going on uh, with, with Israel and with the Babylonians coming in. And the Edomites, maybe they read Deuteronomy 28, and they're like, well, you know, you guys, this is exactly what God said would happen if you, dis if you, you know, sinned against him and disobeyed him. And, you know, um, I love you enough to let you feel the weight of your bad decisions because I want you to grow. <laughs> like, 
And maybe that would have been true, right? But then God is just really, really angry with the Edomites. So what's going on there? Because I know there are people that, that if, if I help them out every time they come to me with a need, they're not going to grow. If they keep making a whole bunch of idiotic decisions and then I bail them out, they're going to keep making a bunch of idiotic decisions. So that's not compassionate. So then am I prideful in my heart towards that person? And, and maybe, maybe I'm just hiding behind that sense of, well, I, you know, you need to feel the weight of those bad decisions so that you can grow. Maybe I'm hiding behind that when really I'm like, dude, I'm so much better than you. <laughs> Thank you, God, for protecting me from that pride oftentimes. But... I need to be on guard against that because when, when I'm surrounded by people that, that are making bad decisions like the Edomites were, then, um, then it can be a temptation to be like, wow, you know what, Israel, yeah, they blew it. Uh, hey, Edomites, look at how much God is blessing us. See, we're the, we're the awesome ones, you know. Sure, steal our blessing, whatever. <laughs> look at us now. Rather than than truly wanting what would be best for them. So uh, let's take a look uh, and see what, what God would have to say about their, their pride and their neglect of compassion. Uh, we'll pick it up in verse 10. Because of the violence done to your brother, Jacob, remember this is Esau and Jacob, Edomites and Israelites, because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you will be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. In other words, you were like one of those Babylonians pillaging your brother. Verse 12, but do not gloat over the day of your brother and the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gates of my people in the day of their calamity and do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. Again, harsh words spoken against a nation that did not come to the aid of its brother a nation that was deceived by pride, that was trusting in self, and um, convicting to me personally, to be honest. So why would, remember this is a message from uh, the prophet Ed, uh, Obadiah. We know very little about Obadiah. We know he was a prophet. That's about it. Why would God have this prophecy against 
the Edomites, but speak it to the Israelites. I think there are two, at least two reasons for that. One would be that God uh, wants to warn the Israelites, uh, don't be like that. You know, don't be like your brother. <laughs> you know, all prideful and self-reliant and not compassionate. Don't be like that because see what I'm going to do to them? Yeah, you don't want that. But I think another reason would be that God wants uh, to remind the nation of Israel, hey, I've got your back. You know, they weren't there for you when you needed them. And yes, you're experiencing my discipline very severely, but I have good intentions towards you. And uh, I don't know if you've ever had one of those kind of situations where, um, you know, dad comes to the rescue, right? You know, the, the bully on the playground or whatever. And then, and then dad goes and sets things right. Feels good to know that big, strong, powerful dad has your back. And so God goes to the Edomites and says, hey, um, you, you did not take care of my son, your brother, when he needed you. And so there's a sense of um, encouragement to the Israelites in that way. Um, I, I believe that many people in, in their heart of hearts, if they were to truly be honest with themselves, would say that they actually do not believe in their heart that God has their best interest in mind. Now, a lot of Christians might say, well, I know he does because the Bible says so, but do they really believe that? Do they really believe that God wants what's best for them? And, and to think that a lot of people might say, you know, I, I don't know, that's a tough one to answer, that just breaks my heart because it, it's like the oldest lie in the book. You know, I mean, Satan came to Eve said, so, oh, well, did God really say? Oh, well, he just doesn't want you to have the good stuff. How many times have we, I say we because I fit into that at times. How many times have we uh, walked into sin because we thought God was holding out on us? And I believe that having a, a clear conviction in my mind and heart that God actually does want what's best for me will protect me from, from, uh, from disobeying him. So let's look at what God uh, does for Israel. Look at how he's got their back. We pick it up here in uh, verse 16. He's, this is God judging the Edomites. Um, as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow and shall be as though they had never been. But in Mount Zion, there shall be those who escape. This is referring to Israel now. Uh, and it shall be holy. And the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire and the house of Joseph a flame. And the house of Esau will be stubble and they shall burn and consume them. And there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. 
Those of the Negev, and yours might say Negev, that's fine, just different translations, shall possess Mount Esau. And those of the Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines. And they shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria. And Benjamin shall possess Gilead. These are a bunch of names of either Israel, like different regions or, or tribes of Israel. And God's saying that they're going to expand, they're going to be prosperous. They're going to uh, receive God's blessing. They're going to get 98685. <laughs> uh, verse 20. The exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of Canaan as far as Zephyrath. And the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Sepharad shall possess the cities of the Negeb. Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau. And the kingdom shall be the Lord's. And there's a little map that just shows those different regions in case you were wondering what all that was about. So there's a promise. Now, the nation of Israel had been disciplined by God, taken captive. Their city was burned. Their temple was destroyed. They were hauled off as slaves and brought to Babylon. They were made low. They were dramatically disciplined by God. And then God comes and says, Esau, you let your brother down and I'll deal with you. Israel, I still love you. And you're going you're gonna to grow through this, and you're going to be better off for it, because that's the way my discipline works. So, there are three lessons that I see here, three lessons that challenge my heart when I read through this book for at least the seventh time recently now. The first one, uh, I want to remember my complete dependency on God. Uh, the, the more able I am to take care of myself, the less able I am to remain dependent on God. It is um, very important to remember that I am dependent on God. So take a moment, and I'd like everyone to just uh, be aware of your breathing. We depend on God for that. No matter how self-reliant I might think I am, no matter how secure I might think I am, the very breath in my lungs comes from him. I need him desperately. I need him to make the thousands of micro decisions that I make every day. I need him to help me make those for his glory. I need him to help me be his love to the people around me. No matter how big or how small, I want to remember that I'm completely dependent on God. So how do we balance? So the second point, um, the, the second lesson, always ask, what does love look like here? And what I mean by that is that tension, you know, like Esau's looking at, Israel and saying, well, yeah, you had it coming. God's discipline in you and far be it from me to circumvent God's discipline because I want you to grow. And you know what? That's actually sometimes true. There might be some of you that are in relationships where there's a person that you're enabling to continue sinning because you are taking the weight of that consequence off of them. 
And maybe God would say, I do want them to feel that weight. But that doesn't mean that he wants you to lack compassion. And so what does it look like to be God's love in that situation? And that's how I try to cut through that tension to always ask the question, what does love look like here? What does God's love look like here? And that'll sometimes help me remain compassionate uh, when people are being disciplined so that I can be his love with them during that discipline. And then finally, I want to know in my heart and mind that God will discipline and he will protect and he will vindicate me. That's what he said to Israel, that he would vindicate them. And when Esau wasn't there for them, God got pretty upset with them about that. But God did discipline Israel. So I can trust that God will discipline, that he will protect, and he will vindicate. Um, You know, in closing, I want to just mention uh, verse 21. It says, Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion. A Savior did go up to Mount Zion. His name is Jesus. The ultimate fulfillment of that, of that difficulty, right? The, the one that took the punishment on the cross so that now when I receive God's discipline, it's corrective and not uh, punishing. So if you have not received that forgiveness that Jesus offers, if you've not entered into that relationship with him and allowed him to take your punishment on the cross so that you can be free from that, then I would really encourage you to consider that. And you could ask me or Scott or one of our elders or the person you came with. Uh, We'd love to talk with you more about that. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for your word. Um, I thank you that you protect that you discipline, uh, that you vindicate. God, I, um, I'm deeply aware of how dependent I am on you for my very breath, for life itself. And so, Lord, I pray that you would enable us to, um, to let your love flow through us, that we could be a good brother to anyone uh, that you put in our path. In Jesus' name, amen.